Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin reading with verse 10. We'll read down through verse 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading of your holy and sacred word. And we look to you, Father, that you would be pleased to open our hearts to it, that you would open our minds to it, that you would, to use Paul's language, you would enlighten our minds, O oh, Father, in the knowledge of the Holy One. That, Father, you would be pleased, O Lord, to bless us with greater understanding, not for the sake of understanding alone, but for the sake, Father, of protecting ourselves against these spiritual forces of evil, these personal and highly intelligent uh, uh, evil beings that seek to destroy us. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, uh, you may be glorified in teaching us this morning uh, from your word. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There's a, a saying that's, uh, that goes on in the... Uh, I've, I've heard it in, uh, amongst those who race cars. I've heard it amongst those who race bikes. And I suppose it probably is used amongst those who race practically anything. And people are racing practically anything today. Uh, but the phrase, maybe some of you have heard it, that if you have a $10 head, uh, buy a $10 helmet. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? I've always thought it was kind of comical, you know. If you have a $10 head, buy a $10 helmet. Uh, this morning we come to the fifth piece of armor that the Apostle Paul calls us to take up in verse 17, namely the helmet of salvation. And that'll be our focus this morning. But before we move on to that, let's, by way of a review, I've been carefully reviewing all of this because this is one of those passages of Scripture that is exceptionally important that we actually really store up into our hearts. Uh, we, we can't be looking these things up on the fly. We need to have these things stored up in our hearts so that they are everywhere we go. Uh, what is the first piece of armor that the Apostle Paul calls us to put on anyone what's without looking i see some of you looking down i caught you <laughs> what is the first piece anybody it's the belt of truth right the belt of truth and we've seen the belt of truth we've seen it objectively and subjectively right this is the this is the word of god the belt of truth truth objectively is in our is in our bibles correct now subjectively is uh, this truth as we're walking in it in our lives, correct? Okay. What's the second piece? 
breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ Jesus, right? There's an exchange taking place. When we put our faith and our trust in Christ, that old life goes to the cross, correct? That's what Jesus is doing there, isn't it? He's suffering. He's suffering for the sins of his people. So our old lives are, are credited to him. That sinful, filthy life is credited to Christ. And his perfect and righteous life is credited to us, correct? All right, so the breastplate of righteousness. That's the second piece we take up. What's the third? Yeah, the readiness given by the gospel, right? And, and I think the best way to remember it, the way I remember it, is I think about the runner, the ancient runner. You know, he's running from the battle lines in order to go back to his countrymen to tell them how things are going. Now, the, the, the readiness that we're speaking about is the readiness of the gospel of peace, correct? Gospel means good news. This runner has good news. Okay, the message that he carries, that is the gospel objectively, correct? He's got a message to communicate as he runs back to his countrymen, a message from the battlefield. In this case, it's good news. But subjectively, this news has affected him. He's excited to get back to his kinsmen because he has good news. So you see, the good news actually has made him ready. There's a readiness that comes from the good news. And of course, as this metaphor is, is uh, uh, transferred into uh, the gospel, as we take and apply this metaphor, you know, the, uh, the only ones that have any business proclaiming the gospel are those who have received the gospel. And it's the reception of the gospel that makes us ready to proclaim the gospel. Does that make sense? Is that clear? And what's the fourth piece? We looked at it last week. Some of you weren't here. And that's the shield, correct? The shield of faith. It's the fourth piece, the shield of faith. And as we saw last week, it's, uh, uh, it was that large um, uh, shield that the, that the Romans soldiers would carry. It was typically about two and a half feet by four feet and it was big enough that the soldier could kind of get crouched down behind it and be completely covered by it. Um, but we also saw from the Old Testament that there are many passages where God is revealed as a shield to those who take refuge in him, correct? God is revealed as a shield. We looked at a number of passages from the Old Testament and there, there are quite a few more that we didn't look at. So God is a shield to those who... Uh, take refuge in him. So there's the shield of faith. Now the fifth one that we take up, we take up this morning, and that's the helmet of salvation. So the next question that we have this morning is what is the helmet of salvation? What exactly is that? Well, I, 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 I ask that you bear with me. I'm going to get just a little bit technical right now, and I don't do this just to be technical, but I think this will really help you understand this one. Uh, in grammar, we call this particular phrase a genitive phrase. There's no reason for, really for any of us to, to know this uh, unless you've studied uh, hermeneutics, which is the science of interpreting literature. Unless you've studied that, you probably wouldn't have a lot of knowledge of this, of uh, genitive phrases, have you. But this is a genitive phrase, and it's a particular type of genitive phrase known as a genitive of apposition. Again, don't, if you say, well, what's all that? Don't, don't let that make you feel stupid or anything. There's no reason that you really should have known that unless you've studied this stuff. But it's important for this reason. If you look up the word apposition in a dictionary, 
Typically, the example is more helpful than the definition itself. Uh, most of the definitions that I've seen in English dictionaries have used uh, this little sentence or part of a sentence. It's say, the first president of the United States, George Washington. Okay, the first president of the United States, George Washington, and then dot, 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 the sentence continues. Okay, the phrase, the first president of the United States, and the, the name, George Washington, are both referring to the same person, correct? So these two things are in apposition. They're both, they both have the same referent. They both are referring to the same thing. In my prayer a few minutes ago, I was talking about, uh, about the, the, uh, the Sabbath and about the Lord's Day. I think I used the word Sabbath. But uh, you, you have the Sabbath and you have the Lord's Day. Now, both are referring to the same thing, correct? Or they would be in apposition. Now, why is that important? How does that help us understand this? If you go back and look at our verse here, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us to take the helmet of salvation. Okay, what is that? Well, this is, an ab this is a genitive of apposition. The helmet is salvation. It has one and the same referent. The helmet here is salvation. And of course, we have seen it. I won't go back there, but I pointed it out to you that the Apostle Paul is getting this from Isaiah. You remember, some of you might remember, it was uh, quite a few weeks ago, uh, but um, Isaiah uses this wor these words. You know, when, in that passage back in Isaiah 59, where the Lord's looking down at the condition of the people of God. They've apostatized. They're, they're turning to their uh, own ways. There's no justice. And the Lord looks down to see if there's anyone uh, who, who can fix the problem, if I might paraphrase it. Seeing none... Uh, he comes down himself, and he comes down wearing the breastplate of righteousness, and he comes down wearing uh, the helmet of salvation. You know, the helmet of salvation. So this phrase actually is, is again, rooted in uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. So the helmet of salvation, the helmet itself, is salvation. Now, some of you might be thinking that the, 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 the puzzling thing about this is if we think about the context here, who is Paul writing to? Remember the context? If you go back to verse 1, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, correct? Okay. The saints in Ephesus, okay, in other words, he's writing to believers who are in Ephesus, and through them he's writing to believers wherever they can be found, correct? Okay, here's the puzzling thing. Haven't they already put on salvation? Yeah. So this can be quite puzzling. Okay, what, what is Paul saying then? Is he saying, okay, all of you who've put on salvation, put on salvation. That's what he's saying. Now, how do we make sense of that? We make sense of it this way. It's actually a very simple explanation. When the Bible uses the word salvation, sometimes it uses it very narrowly, sometimes it uses it very broadly. And there are actually three crucial aspects to salvation. There's a past aspect to it. You know, there's a past. Uh, I might start with some of us who have, been, who have come to Christ in adulthood. If you've come to Christ in saving faith in adulthood, 
then you might even be able to recall uh, the actual day when you believed. Some people can do that. Not everybody can do that. If you can't do that, don't worry about that. God works in our lives very differently. But there are people who can actually pinpoint the very hour when they believe. They just, they, they believe. And this doesn't just apply to people who have come to saving faith as adults. You know, this perhaps, uh, uh, Tammy, she'll clobber me for using it as an example later, but she can't get to me now, so I'm saying. Um, was converted at, at 11 years of age at a church camp. So you can point, maybe not to the hour when you came to faith, but you can point maybe perhaps to the day or at least to the span of days during that week when you were at a church camp where you went to the church camp, you really couldn't say you, were, you really had embraced Christ yet with saving faith, but at that, at that camp you, you did embrace him with saving Christ and saving faith, and you have ever since. So what, what am I going to there's a past element here. And typically we respond, we, we call this past element justification. The Bible often will refer to salvation in terms of justification. What does that mean? What that means is prior to justification, we couldn't stand in God's court. We couldn't have, we didn't have a right relationship with God. But once we put our Faith in Christ. Faith unites us to Jesus. The old person is taken away. And Christ gives us the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, Christ gives us his righteousness. And now we are able to stand in the presence of God in a right relationship with him. That's a past event. It takes place one time. And when it takes place, it takes place per perfectly. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you are just as justified as the Apostle Paul was. Or for that matter, any other uh, person who has ever walked with Christ. We might not always feel that way. And a lot of problems in our lives stem from a misunderstanding of justification. But if you're in Christ this morning, you are as justified as you will ever be. A three millennium in heaven. You won't be any more justified then than you are right now if you are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because you have been clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ Jesus. You've literally been robed with that. And when God looks at you, that's what he sees. I might put it another way. Your old record went to Jesus. And there he is suffering and dying for that old record. This is the way I used to explain it when I, when I was doing a lot of ministry at Columbiana County Jail. Those people were carrying around these records. They were carrying around a lot of guilt as a result of these records. And I say, listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that old record goes to Jesus. And Jesus is he's, he's suffering and dying for that old record. He's paying, the, he's paying the, the, the time for the crime, if you will. And that perfect record of Christ is being credited to you. And you're, you're, you're as justified at that point as you're ever going to be. Perfectly. That's the past aspect a very important one to get our minds around there's also a present aspect a second aspect of salvation that some of us might be thinking of right now it's hard for us to imagine that we're perfectly justified when we think about the past 24 hours or maybe we think about the past week or maybe we think about this morning or we think about ways that we have fallen to the left or we've fallen to the right things that we have thought things that we've done this pertains to the 
present, if you will. This pertains to the present. I'll show you an example from Scripture that concerns the present. It's very close to our text. In fact, uh, in Philippians, if you just turn towards the back of the Bible, in many cases, just one page to Philippians. It's the very next book that comes after Ephesians. And if you look at chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, here we find this, this present aspect of salvation, if you will, where the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let's stop right there because a lot of people stumble over this. The Apostle Paul is telling us to work out our what? Our salvation. Now, people will stumble over that and they'll say, wait a second, now Paul everywhere tells us that we can't, there's no way that we can be saved by works. And here we're being told to work out our own salvation. And if you don't understand these three aspects of salvation, if you don't understand that, it, it, can, it, can, it can make a mess of things very quickly here. What's Paul talking about? Working out our own salvation. In one sense, salvation can be, can be spoken of as an event when you put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus. In that moment of time, you step out of darkness, you step into light, and you are saved. You're brought into a right relationship with Jesus upon your justification. You're right with Him. He has, got his hold, he has His hold on you. you. He came to save you. Now, he is going to save you. Okay, that's the past. But presently, there's this remnant of sin that dwells in our hearts, isn't there? That we battle with. And the fact that if you, if, you know, when you think about the battle, uh, if you're mindful of that battle, that's a good mark that you've been justified. That's a good mark that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in your hearts because the Holy Spirit will convict you of these things. You know, it's not like it used to be. Uh, for those who maybe came to Christ in adulthood. You used to be able to do this and do this and do this, not have any real problem with conscience. But since you've come to Christ, you can't do that anymore the way you used to be able to do it. It doesn't mean you don't fall into patterns that look very much like the old patterns. Uh, we will and we do. But the problem now is the Holy Spirit won't leave you like that. He begins to work. He begins to convict. And, and, and it's a mess, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, to this aspect, this present aspect, you know, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. You know, one of the ways that we know that we're in a state of grace is we persevere. Uh, the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We will persevere. That's one of the ways we know that we're in a state of grace is this perseverance, this willingness, this wantingness to walk with God and to persevere through these things. Does that make sense? That's speaking of a present sense. And in fact, if you look at verse 13, uh, the, we're told, in one sense, we're told to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. And before I go to verse 13, let me remind you, who is Paul uh, speaking to here in Philippians? If you look at verse 1, he's very clear. He's writing to believers, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. You see that in verse 1? He's telling those who are already in a state of grace. He's telling those who are already justified. He's telling those who are already in Christ to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. Because, verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, 
This activity is an activity that is being inspired by and empowered by Almighty God Himself. We often refer to the second aspect of salvation as sanctification. What is that? That's becoming more and more like Jesus. As we walk with God, we become more and more like Jesus. And hopefully, you know, if you want to examine yourself, that's, that's fine, it's commendable, it's, it's, it's something the Apostle Paul calls us to do. Think back, if you've been walking with Christ for a while, think back. You know, what does your life look like today versus what did it look like a year ago? Or five years ago, however long you've been walking with Jesus. Now, hopefully you'll see a, a pattern where, a, pro, a progression where you're walking more and more like Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the present aspect. Now there's a third aspect, and being I've talked about the past, now I'm talking about the present, guess what the third one is? It's a future. It's a future. And it's often referred to in theology as glorification, which comes right out of Romans 8. Glorification. And in Philippians here, I'm picking on Philippians because we have, uh, we have an example in, in verse 20 of chapter 3, actually verses 20 and 21 where we see this. If you look there, Philippians 3, 20 and, and, and 21, the Apostle Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. That is the return. Uh, he's not waiting for a Savior. He's already embraced the Savior. He's waiting for His return, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, verse 21, our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, this hasn't happened yet, has it? You know, this morning I was trying to think of, a, of a, a call to worship for all of this, and that's what led me to Revelation 21, that glorious passage where we see the consummation of all things, where we're headed. That's the future. That's the future that we have. We have a future where we're going to get these glorious resurrection bodies. And we're going to be in the presence of, of Jesus Christ. We're going to be seeing him the way we can see each other. We will be able to approach him and ask him a question, just like we could ask one another question. We're going to feel the touch of his love as, as he physically touches our physical bodies. And I don't know if this ever occupies any of your thoughts, but we need to be thinking about this. You know, oftentimes it occupies my mind, and you might find this in a little bit of a weird way, but I think if there were more pastors in the room, they'd understand what I'm talking about. As a pastor, you really fall in love with a congregation. I mean, as you grow, as you watch the Lord work in the, in the hearts and the lives of uh, a congregation, quite a few of you were missing last week, and it really, it, there was a part of me that was missing because of that. And in fact, I kind of forgot you were missing, and I was looking for a couple of you, and you weren't there. And what was I looking for? I was looking for the smile, because I know there's certain things, there's certain things that you're tuned in on. And when certain subjects come up in the, in the scriptures, I, I know that's going to elicit a smile from your face, and it's beautiful. And as a pastor, you want to tell people that they're beautiful. But in this life, you have to be careful doing that especially members of the opposite sex, but even today I think you have to be careful whoever you tell. You can give, you can give people the wrong impression. I, I find that to be so frustrating because I would love to be able to tell all of you how beautiful you are. Yet I don't want to be misunderstood by any of you. 
But you see, in heaven, we're not going to have that problem. We'll be able to just go up and tell each other that we're beautiful. And you know what I know something? We're going to be beautiful. With these resurrection bodies, we're going to be beautiful. You know, if you think about that, that's an important part. That's just one aspect of, of glorification. Now, back to the helmet of salvation. When the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, he says to take the helmet of salvation. Okay, they're all, they've already taken salvation in the past sense here. Okay. They've already taken it. That's, they're believers, correct? And the Apostle Paul, okay, in the context of spiritual warfare, in the context of receiving the, these, these flaming arrows from the evil one, in the context of being assaulted by the devil, we're told to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, what part of the body does the helmet protect? That's not a tough question. It protects the head, right? Most, probably almost all of us, it isn't like it was when we grew up. When we grew up, nobody wore helmets. Today, everybody wears helmets. You know, I heard a Christian comedian talking uh, a number of years ago, and he was talking about that. See, everybody wears a helmet. You know, you come out of your house, the first thing you do is you put a helmet on. Whether you're on a skateboard or anything, you put a helmet on. He goes, we didn't have no helmets. He goes, now they got airbags, everything. You know, he was just going on being, being funny, being and he said, you know, what did we have when we were kids? We didn't have no airbag. We had a big metal dash, you know. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. I never forgot it. But we're so, we, we are, and, and that's nothing wrong with that. I'm not mocking that. We're, we're very safety conscious today. Uh, we all know what a helmet is. What does a helmet protect? It protects the head. Why do we need protection for the head? Because in this spiritual warfare, our minds are a battlefield. Our minds are a battlefield. And uh, I think we all know what I'm talking about. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. You can be on a morning like this worshiping Jesus and your favorite praise song playing, your favorite hymn playing, and you're focusing on Jesus as hard as you can, and all of a sudden this foul thought come into your mind. Have you ever had that experience? What? Where did that come from? Well, it may have come from the corruption of our flesh. Don't ever underestimate the corruption of your heart. Don't ever underestimate that. But it may have come from the evil one himself. Thomas Watson, in one of his books, he wrote three-volume commentary on the Shorter Catechism. I think it's in his book, In the Lord's Prayer, uh, actually went into some, a little bit of detail about how to try to discern whether these attacks are coming from our corruption or corrupt, corruption of our flesh, from the old man or the old woman, if you will, or if they're coming from the evil one. And as I recall, one of the criteria in discerning which is sometimes impossible to discern, but one of the criteria in discerning is that, is that it'll come suddenly into your head, like out of nowhere. And I think that lends itself very well to that. That's the way a flaming dart would approach, isn't it? That's the way a flaming arrow would approach. You, you know, I mean, it would come on you very suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere. Where did that come? Because if you saw it coming, you'd be ready for it. 
And you may see it coming, but it's, you're not going to get a lot of time to look at it. In fact, if you freeze, that would probably be, that would probably be it. You know, you see it, you better get the shield up, right? So he would say that a lot of times it's sudden, very suddenly you get this really foul thought. But the point here, whether it comes from our, 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 uh, our corrupt hearts or whether it comes from the evil one, Paul's telling us to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay, we've got that nasty thought in our mind. And in some cases, it doesn't go away very easily. It's like a bad dream. You wake up, you can't shake it off. And if the evil one is permitted to do this over and over again, he can start to whisper in your ear, yeah, look at you. You think you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, how in the world could you have and entertain thoughts like that? There's just no way a Christian could do that. You see the battles right here, isn't it? Now, this is where a lot of commentators say, now you need to look to the future. But you know something? I think I, that's not, that's correct. That's correct. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to develop that in a minute. But I think we need to first look to the past. And we need to look back and we need to say, wait a second. How did I become a Christian in the first place? I didn't become a Christian because I'm a great person. I didn't become a Christian because I didn't have evil thoughts. I didn't become a Christian because I walked perfectly. I became a Christian because I discovered the very opposite. I discovered I'm a filthy wretch and I need a savior. And I discovered in the gospel that there's a promise made to me by Christ Jesus that if I put my faith and my trust in him, I can become a Christian. And we need to tell ourselves, we need to preach to ourselves, I didn't become a Christian because I didn't have these thoughts. That's not how you become a Christian, and that's not how you remain a Christian. It's by faith that we are saved. It's by grace that we are, I should say it this way, it's by grace that we are saved through faith. Faith doesn't save us, the Savior does. Faith unites us to the Savior. Right? Jesus saves us. See, we've got to go back to the past, don't we? And we've got to re-instruct ourselves here. Don't listen to this voice. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's another one of the criteria, as I recall, that Thomas Watson brought up. Is the, I think it might have been Thomas Goodwin maybe it brought that up. That, listen, when the Holy Spirit is working in your lives, He, he doesn't work in a, condem, in, a, in a way of condemnation like that. His voice is sweet. But the devil's voice is a condemning. It's got a condemning tone. It's got this high-fisted and high-handing tone. So when that's going on, we know we're being slandered. We know we're being accused by the devil. And you can go back to Zechariah 3 and think of Joshua, the high priest in his vision, being accused by the devil. But then the Lord saying, no, stop. Take these filthy rags off of, off of Joshua. Put on those pure vestments. That's the breastplate of righteousness, isn't it? So we go back to the past when we're being assaulted. Is that clear? But we can also think about the present. Maybe it is coming from the corruption of our flesh. Okay, that's the present. Don't ever underestimate how corrupt your heart is. Don't ever underestimate that. Maybe it is coming from me. Maybe it is the present. Okay, what do we do about that? Memorize 1 John 1 9. What happens when we sin? Well, we confess our sins, right? We confess our sins. 
And we have a promise that Christ will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, we've got these thoughts going on in our heads. The head is a mind is a battlefield. These thoughts are going on. All right, let's confess them. Father, I don't know if this is coming from me, if this is coming from the evil one. But to whatever degree I'm responsible for this, I, I call on you to forgive me and I call on you to, to wash me and cleanse me. See how that's done? You're taking the helmet of salvation as you do that. You're taking the present aspect of it. What about the future aspect? What about the future aspect? The future aspect is really important when we're suffering. You've heard me say many, many times that if you're in Christ Jesus, your suffering is temporary, regardless of whatever that suffering is. Why do I say that? I say that because I think it's crucial to understand and always keep in your mind. Listen, most of us, we can suffer if we know it's not going to go on forever. But when we're devoid of hope and we think our suffering is just going to go on and go on and go on, that's crushing, isn't it? We see when we take on the helmet of salvation and we look to the future, we see that this is not the case. These words are trustworthy and true says Revelation 21. That if we're in Christ Jesus, we've got the brightest of futures. So whatever suffering we are, we might have to suffer for a week, we might have to suffer for a year, we might have to suffer for a decade, we might have to suffer for several decades. But even a long earthly life is but a sneeze in the grand scheme of eternity. So we put this on our heads. We put salvation. We put the future aspect. Listen, this life is not the sum total of everything. All of our, uh, uh, what we can see here and now, that's not the sum total of everything. But the evil one likes to attack us and make it look like this next dilemma we have is it. If we can't get through this next dilemma, then it's curtains for us. That's not true. We take the helmet of salvation and it protects us from that. We see that there's a, a glorious future for those here in Christ Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we do call on you and we ask, Father, that you would be pleased to continue to teach and instruct and guide us, O oh Father, in this most essential piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. Father, teach us how to wear it and teach us to wear it always, that, Father, we may be able to sustain these blows that come to the head in the form of accusations and in all kinds of ways, Father, in the form of false teaching, in the form of really about every imaginable way we can, we can find ourselves attacked in the mind. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would continue to teach us and instruct us how to put well, what this helmet is and how to wear it and how to wear it always. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.